Classic World Podcast. I have a very special guest here today. He is a photographer, and he has a, he is badass at it. And man, here we have Mike Marin. Hey, what's up, everybody? How you doing today? Good, man. How are you doing, bro? Oh, chilling. You know, uh, just keeping one foot in front of the other, and uh, you know, miles to go before I sleep. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, man, can you just tell my listeners like who you are and what you do, bro? My name is Mike J. Marin. I'm Navajo Laguna Pueblo in Washoe, uh, born and raised in uh, East Oakland, California. Um, I am an award-winning uh, independent filmmaker. And and on my free time, in between shoot shots, I do um, action figure photography. And uh, what that is, is uh, it's not only just taking pictures of toys, it's uh, doing layouts for them and uh you, I use digital digital rendering, like in Photoshop. That's kind of what I went to school for, that and filmmaking, and uh, just kind of put everything together. Uh, I, I call it um, action figure photography with a filmmaker's flair, because mm. um, each of my pictures is a tells a story, which is up to the viewer. Um, and filmmaking wise, I uh, my focus is on uh, Native American horror movies. Mm. Uh, I created a genre called urban Native horror which is taking traditional native scary stories and bringing them to an urban environment and just kind of seeing how us uh, city natives relate to something oh, uh, hardcore from the res if it yeah. came to, to our area. So that's, that's the, the genre that I, I work in is mainly horror, horror movies. Oh man. What got you into horror movies, man? Um, my older brother and sister, actually they're, uh, you know, being babysat by them, when we were younger growing up we had a movie theater down the street from our crib mm-hmm. and um my parents are they were in a native bowling tournament every friday night so while they were bowling we'd sneak out and uh save all our allowance and head to see what was there mm-hmm. and um i think the first uh very first horror movie i ever saw in the theater was um halloween which mm-hmm. became my ultimate all-time favorite horror movie and um after that it just i couldn't get enough of, of, of modern horror cinema. You know, I grew up as a kid, grew up with things like, you know, the universal stuff, black yeah. and white, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, all those uh, old big bug sci-fi movies like them and Tarantula. Grew up with all those until I saw, um, I think the game changer for me ultimately was uh, watching Night of the Living Dead with mm-hmm. my oldest brother. Uh, he was babysitting me one night. We watched it. And then after that, it was like, I couldn't get enough. I didn't want to go back to, you know, universal horror, even though I love old school, you know, I'm still old school horror movie fan, but like the new stuff and newer stuff and the latest, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. Uh, I've never been, never been afraid of anything except uh, three things, except spiders, heights and great white sharks. Those are like the only three things that, that scare me to death. And, um, but everything else, uh, horror movies and, you know, I, I just love that, the thrill of that. And then I consider myself a, a good student of, of the horror genre. Uh, I read a lot about it. I study a lot about it. 
seen, I have a huge library of movies and um, just thought I'd give it a shot at being a, a filmmaker. So uh, in 2015, I shot my first film in Chicago called The Smudging. Uh, if, if you're in, anybody's interested, you can find it on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, it was, it was fun making that film, just bringing everything I've experienced in my life, working at different cultural centers and experiences, experiencing things after the lights went out, when I had to lock the building up, uh, just compiled all that stuff in a, into a story and wrote screenplay and made a movie. Oh shit. So what, what, uh, film school did you go to? I went to Columbia, uh, Columbia college, uh, uh-huh. Chicago. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's an art school. Um, and I, first I went, when I first went, I went for a computer animation. Yeah. As I was like a lot of people dreaming of working for Pixar or Disney until you find out how much work goes into animation. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a huge discipline. And so um, what got me into, into writing stories is um, we had um, one of my animation classes. We had a private screening with uh, writer director, Brad Bird, who uh, did, you know, Ratatouille, Iron Giant and Mission Impossible 3 he showed us a rough cut of Ratatouille um, and then it was a Q and a after, and then we started talking and then he told us that um, the big money makers at Pixar are the screenwriters. And it just kind of, you know, bing went off in my head. Well, I should give it a shot. So I started taking more writing classes and found that that was my strong point was, um, and, and ever since I was a kid, you know, my grandma always told me, man, you, you always tell good stories. You always have a story to tell. So just putting it in writing was a, uh, was a discipline I had to learn. And then after that, it just took off to start compiling all these different, different stories, little vignettes, just little scenarios and things. And just became a full-time screenwriter. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. Cause uh, when I see your pictures on Instagram, like the one that really catched my eye was the uh, moon star and predator one. Oh yeah. Um, that picture actually was, it, it's interesting. Cause a lot of things that I do, it's weird because my brother always tells me, you know, a uh, shout out to a uh, Mac Nez podcast. My brother, Kevin Nez, he always tells me, dude, you create these uh, figure pictures. And then pretty soon, like we'll see a movie trailer. And it's like, dude, like you did that picture. It, is somebody watching what you're doing? Cause that Moonstar one, I did that a while ago, mm-hmm. just, you know, and, and never really put effects on it or touched it up. And then pretty soon, they announced, you know, Hulu announced that they're doing their Predator movie with the native with, with us natives yeah. called Prey. And then I was like, wow, you know, yeah. and, uh, and when I published that picture on, on Instagram, a, a lot of people were like, hey, dude, you know, it looks just like that. Uh, da, da, da. And it's like, OK, well, but um, yeah, I, I, I love that picture. Uh, that figure, uh, the Moonstar figure, took me a long time to open it. I didn't want to open it. And then finally, I was just like, you know what? Um, I'm going to go for it because I'm not selling these or anything. So I might as well just crack it open and have some fun with it. So that was that's probably one of my favorite pictures I've done with that figure so far. Yeah, dude, because I like that one. And like I like Moonstar in the background and yet whatever your what your pictures, man, they bring a story to life. So it's like when I'm looking at that, um, I'm seeing a story in my head of what mm-hmm. happened or and, like she's trying to go after the predator because the predator is like an alpha like there's different predators out there right now so um yeah it just tells a story with your with your art and your pictures when you go into really deep into your your photography work man 
it's it's interesting that some of the things that create you know because my imagination there's has no limit you know i i don't i don't think in the box ever and it's funny when i do um you know one of the most controversial pictures i've ever yeah. done is a, a picture of thanos fighting darth vader and the minute I posted that, my Instagram blew up of so many fanboys, you know, bursting blood vessels over it because it just, God forbid, I did that. You know, you know, they can't exist in the same universe, that sort of thing. Everybody got mad. And there was huge debates, you know, like um, this couldn't happen. Darth Vader would crush Thanos. Thanos is always just up a lot of back and forth. But then as an artist, you know, you kind of think that that's the kind of things you want to you want to see happen is debates about your pictures. And, and sometimes it gets personal, you know, people start to question your ability, your skills, you know, but other than that, it's like, uh, I just have a lot of fun doing it. You know, I, I, sometimes I get commissioned by toy companies to do pictures for them. And uh, a lot of, a lot of times I get shout outs from celebrities whose pictures that, or whose figures I'm using, you know, and they want prints, so I'll, I send out prints and I usually get maybe an autograph picture from them or something, but it's pretty cool, man. I mean, it, to, to, to kind of go deeper into it, it actually saved me from going crazy during all of 2020. I won't ever say, you know, because COVID ain't over, but yeah. during the height of the COVID pep- epidemic, the pandemic, 2020, I just stayed home. And anybody that knows me knows I'm an extrovert. I love to be out. I love to be around people. And just staying at home was killing me until my, my my angel and savior, my wife, told me, hey, man, look, you got a film degree. You got a graphic design degree. You got a closet full of action figures. Do something with it. Mm-hmm. So I just got my head around it. And then boom. And then I was I'm a collector. So I'm like, man, do I open these? Eventually, do I want to sell them? And then finally, I was like, you know what, man? I got to do something because I'm going crazy here. So I did. Yeah. And that's where it just all bloomed from. So. It was, for me, action figure photography was very therapeutic, and it still is. You know, keeps you from going a little bit cuckoo at times. So, <laughs> what got what got you into uh, collecting? Um, when I was a kid, yeah. Uh, let's see, Star Wars. After I saw the first Star Wars, and uh, my parents and I went to we went to Montgomery Wards when there was still Montgomery Wards, and I went to the toy section, and I saw them. They had just unpacked them, all the Star Wars figures, and they were putting them out. And my dad's like, hey, man, um, you can get two of them. So I grabbed a stormtrooper and I grabbed the when it was called a death squad officer before they changed it to uh, whatever name they changed. it. But I got those figures and I was just um, then after that, I was collecting more and more until my brother got the idea. My oldest older brother got the idea, like get two of them and then keep one and open the other. So I didn't I was like, OK, whatever. I know whatever. I didn't back then. I didn't. I was just thinking about playing with them. So years later, come to like the 1990s, and I had boxes full of unopened Star Wars figures that came out. So, you know, and then eBay started to come up. So it was like, boom. And that helped pay for a lot of things, paid for my trips to Chicago, paid for a lot of things. The other figures that I wanted, um, my parents thought I was going to save them for college, but I didn't go to, I didn't go back to school until like I moved out to Chicago. But yeah, man, it was just, you know, it went from Star Wars figures to G.I. Joe figures to Micronauts to Little Green Army Men. You know, like I still have a box of a member of those. Uh, you know, you go to the drugstore, get those bags like Cowboys and Indians. Oh, yeah, ones. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I have a bunch of those. I think I melted all the Cowboys. I still have all the Indians, though. 
But um, <laughs> yeah, man, it, it was, a, it, it just became a hobby that became, you know, now that I'm 50 years old, it, it, it turned into a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, now it's a, it's kind of a semi-profession that I'm doing all this. Yeah, man. Like you mean you have to like the same story. Cause I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest out of uh, two brothers. And like when they started to collect like wrestling figures and mm-hmm. I was like, man, I want to get these wrestling figures, but they will let me play with them. And they will kind of get tired because I would always go in their room and play with their figures. And so at the time <laughs> when I got like old enough, cause it would get me like dark green duck figures, um, like, um, Batman figures and, um, just like a mix of all figures. And mm-hmm. like, they're like, Hey man, like you should start collecting your figures. And so later on, when I was like 10 years old, I started collecting, I started collecting like wrestling figures, like the attitude era. And I should have been like you of collecting two. And, uh, mm-hmm. I never did that. I just opened all my figures until now. Like I'm starting to uh, realize, like I do have, I still have figures in the box, but other mm-hmm. than that, I started to like, you know what? I'm not going to sell them. I'm going to keep them all my life or give them to my son or something like that. So I might as well start, you know, don't care about mint condition, but to just you know, display them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are some that I, I have um, that, you know, those high end ones. Um, I don't know the the shelf behind my, what's this, my right shoulder here. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, There's yeah. a shelf that those are all, uh, my high end stuff, the ones that don't like sideshow or sideshow and hot toys, yeah, you know, uh, Bondi fig arts, you know, um, I will open them and shoot them, but I'm very careful about displaying them. Um, well, I, I don't have a lot of room to display my stuff. Um, when it happened in our last apartment, we had a smaller apartment and it was just wall to wall figures in these cases. And my wife got tired of, of, of people during her zoom meetings of her students, <laughs> You know, saying like, "Hey, Doctor Marin, I have a question. Uh, is that like a limited edition Predator figure behind you?" And she's like, "Bro, you got to move your stuff because it's distracting my students." Yeah. So the deal was bigger apartment. I have my own space, so and here's my own space. Oh man, I have like three things in the living room <laughs> that she allowed me to have, but um, she she tells me to rotate stuff. But uh, a real quick thing about my wife, got to give a shout out to to my wife, Doctor Nanda Marin. She is to the point now where she's looking for stuff like, Hey man, I was on Amazon and I saw this new thing come out. Do you have it yet? And it's like, that's the right woman right there is the one that she, she got into collecting and she's in slowly getting into horror movies, but, but yeah, man, um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a good hobby. And for me, it's more than, you know, um, I won't say it's a way of life, but it is definitely a semi-profession that, that I'm knee deep into now. And uh, I, I don't plan on giving it up anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, to an artist and a collector mixing it up together, man, it's just like, you love the art and you love the figure collecting and you love displaying your figures and breaches like, and inner like an old childhood that you used to have because my parents never, um, they got me figures, but the, fi- the high end figures, like as a kid, I was seeing like um, like Batman and the uh, the 1989 Batman and seeing those figures and I wanted them. And now being older, I can go back and try to collect those figures. But right now, those figures are pretty up there, but you can get them at a good price sometimes. But if you go to like an old, um, like a, uh, 
a collector store you can see them or anything like that but going back to like collecting and like an artist thing i always like the graphics the old um at the box graphics mm-hmm. like the he-man yeah. graphics man those are fucking dope man yeah there's um I know a guy that does, he does box art for mm. um, the Star Wars line. Yeah. And he's always trying to get, you know, his, you know, the people he works for, he always trying to get some of my artwork, wanting me to do stuff. But um, they're not really, you know, too into, they, they have a certain style. You know, like I have to give a shout out to, uh, you know, the G.I. Joe classified uh, line from Hasbro because they use that one, um, I forgot his name. I'm God, but that one native artist that does, uh, he's done work for, he's done limited edition covers for Marvel. They just came out with a, uh, the GI Joe figure of spirit, spirit iron knife. Mm -hmm. And he got to do the box art. And I thought that was so cool that they got a native dude to represent the native figure. And what's really cool about this figure that I like is he still has kind of the look of the old one, but it's more, the features are a lot more defined as, as looking like an, a native dude, like a warrior, that yeah, quintessential yeah. warrior look. Mm-hmm. But also, <laughs> this was corny, I always thought. The old figure that came out in the 80s, he came out with this, or he had this automatic arrow rifle. Okay, it looked yeah. like a rifle, but it had a big, <laughs> thick clip that had arrows in it. And it's like, why didn't you just give him a crossbow or something? But this <laughs> one, he has a regular you know, M4 uh, sniper rifle which is really, really a cool addition. But, um, you know, there's the fact that they, they took time for this figure to come out instead of making it look hokey and tropey and cheesy. They actually took time with the sculpt and the detail. I thought it's really, to me, it was like really respectful. And then on top of that, to ask a native artist to do the artwork for the, for the box. It's, it's, it's beast, man. I really, I really love it to me. Like they, to me, it was like, okay, that that's a toy line that has respect. Yeah, that shows that showed us respect. So, but yeah, man, props to them. And that's good, man, because, like you said, like there's a lot of um, a lot of um, artists out there that are trying to get their name out, and especially like an artist to actually do that for like a a big line like that is fucking it's dope. Yeah, um, it's it's hard. I have, I have a buddy, my buddy John. He just got hired on to McFarland McFarland Toys to oh, do shit. layouts. He's a sculptor. He's a figure photographer. Dude's a, dude's a a beast artist. And he and I talk all the time. He's always trying to get them to hire me. So he said, I'm not quite there yet, but I'm still, I always put your name out there. So just be patient and keep doing your stuff. And um, as an artist, it's, it is, you know, as a filmmaker, you know, I, it's a whole other story to talk about trying to be a filmmaker here, especially in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm a needle in a stack of needles in a box of needles here in Los Angeles. Everybody comes here. It's a quintessential place to be a filmmaker and to be an independent filmmaker. It's even harder, but I'll get into that later or maybe another time. But as far as being an artist doing what I do, it's, it's interesting because you kind of get caught in the, there is politics Mm -hmm. to this. It's funny. It's not, you know, not, you know, Republican Democrat type politics, but it's politics net there's a, a civil war in action figure photography between people that use digital style and people that use practical, you know, mm-hmm. dioramas, building things, which that in itself is just that model making is an, is an art in itself. But when it comes to doing digital art, it gets a lot of noses up turned at it because it's some consider it cheating. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like there's some guys like, oh, it took me forever to build this and you just can do this with a, you know, with a few strokes on your mouse and then you create this. It's like, but you know, it's, it's still art. It's, it's what I do. You know, it's what I went yeah. to school for. It's what I'm paying off my student loans for. So I might as well use it. Right. Yeah. But um, you get a lot of, uh, you know, my art may be beautiful, but I get passed over a lot because it is, it's, people don't see it as art. They say like a, one guy told me it looks too real. He goes, and you look at other figure photography and it still looks like toys, but yours looks real. Mm-hmm. What do you, and, and I don't know what you're doing to it. It's like, I'm not putting any kind of filters on it. Yeah. I use, I just use lights and I just use Photoshop. And I always tell, I always stress to people for me, when I work, lighting is key. You, your, your lighting has to match whatever you're compositing your figure against, or else it just looks like a cutout. Mm-hmm. So I've been told that my stuff looks too real. I've been told that, you know, that I put it through too many filters. And if people watch how I do it, it's very simple. You know, I've taught other people how to do it through tutorials and, and they like it. It's real simple. And then another funny part is like, I'll get one figure, like say for instance, a Cobra, a Cobra trooper figure, mm-hmm. and I'll put it in different poses and I'll do a battle scene where it looks like there's like six figures and they're all fighting in different poses. I will actually get dudes message me and be like, you're that a-hole that goes into target and buys all the figures and then probably goes to Walmart. How many of those do you have? And it's like, I do Photoshop so I can make one look like many. Yeah. You know, I, that's it. I just have to buy one figure. And then that's the miracle of digital rendering is you can make it look, you know, I can make it look like I have a whole, uh, airplane hanger full of, you know, action figures. And I just have one, you know, and then people get mad at you for that. Or they sit there and they, they, you know, if whatever effects you put on it, it's like, Oh, you didn't create that. It's like, dude, I, I mean, I don't have the money to put firecrackers around my action figures and blow them up and, and photograph them with a, you know, a high end camera. I use an iPhone and just what you see, you know, like, that's my workspace, you know, it's just a desk and a computer and, and it's what I do, but I do do practical shots once in a while, mm-hmm. but um, it's just when I ever get out and I get to take a bunch of stuff with me to shoot, but it's art, you know, it, no matter what. And yeah. I, I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot, but oh, no, you're good. W- w- one thing that I, I stress to people is you can't judge art. Mm-hmm. You can't judge art because judging art is judging that person. Like you can't judge poetry. You can't judge an art, an artist's way because that's how they are. That's their expression. And the minute you tell an artist, you know what I think you should do with that, then it becomes their vision and not the artist's vision. So I always stick to that. You can't judge art because mm. to me it's judging the individual. Yeah. And even though there's some figure photographers that are just starting out, you know, and there's people that will bash them. It's like, Why? You know what? Help them. Don't bash them. You know, just so I'm always that lending hand. I always offer critique if I'm asked. I never, you know, you know what you should do. You know, I, I don't do that. So I'm always there to offer advice on if anybody wants to know how to do something. Mm. I'm very open. You know, I don't I don't protect. I'm not a gatekeeper. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, I went to school for um, animation production and I know how it is, man, like to see people um, do like 3D art and it takes a lot, man. And yeah. I know like the hate with it goes into it and like people bash people for being like, you know, expressive with the art. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And I know, like, with that, I know, like, I know I said it through my and uh, my other podcasts, but I tried to be a comic book artist and I tried to mix both styles of realism and comic book art and put it in together. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just, uh, one time I was talking to this one, oh no, my friend, um, James McLeod from, um, the ripe potatoes podcast. I was telling him like one time I got bashed by a, uh, another comic book artist for just because I was like, I did graffiti a long time ago. And mm-hmm. um, I showed him like some pictures that I had and my portfolio. And he's like, you know, what? you should start doing little kid books. And I was like, uh, I wanted to be a comic book artist. And he's like, uh, I don't think that's right for you. And I'm like, uh, okay. And I was like, man, all right. So that, and that really just like really hurt me a lot. It crippled me. You know, see, mm-hmm. seeing a comic book artist that I really looked up to say that to me. And I was like, man, dude, like I just felt bad for myself. Because I really wanted this artist to like, you know, to inspire me and to uh, critique me. And, but he just said, you know, some bullshit like that. And so I never really like, you know, put myself out there or put my artwork out there until now. Like this podcast has really helped me into Mm -hmm. like putting my artwork out there. Like I do covers for my podcast every week, you know, new covers that I just like in my head and I just like write them out or I just draw them out, sketch them out and I put them out there. But as listening to somebody to judge me for something that was expressive for me, you know, to tell me that I wasn't good enough, you know, it really crippled me because I didn't know what to think back then. But you know, now like I am good enough. I am a badass. I am you know, somebody that people can look up to and if they want to ask me questions about their own work, they can. And I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't now gatekeep them, like you're saying. I wouldn't, like, tell them, like, no, you're not good enough. You know, you need to try harder. And that's really, that really inspiring, like, what you're saying for other artists, Native artists, too. You know, I know there's Native comic book artists that want to put themselves out there. And, like, to go back to, like, what you're saying, too, man, it's, like, it's really a blessing that you're saying this to to inspiring artists, to people that want to be where you're at, you know that's a that takes a lot. Well, I pre- I appreciate that, and and thank you for that, man. It it took me a long time to realize that I'm I, that like you said, you're a badass. Mm-hmm. It took me a long time to realize that I am. But the difference, I think, the similarity you and I have is is our heads aren't this big to the point where we're we're that we're that jerk telling the person, Oh, you're not good enough. Yeah. You know, because we're always improving. I have this, I have this thing I learned and it's this stop acting like you're the best and keep practicing. Like you're the worst. Mm. And that's what I do. I'm not, you know, like I say, miles to go before I sleep, before I become an Obi-Wan or a Yoda, I'm still learning the process. See, I'm still learning the game of entertainment, of working in the industry, entertainment, I'm still learning. Yeah. And when you meet people, you know, like the, 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 the people we're becoming as far as our attitudes towards other artists, when you become that to where you're a mentor, you know, that's huge. I think that's better than any paycheck could, you know, could in, represent is talent itself cannot be paid. It's not, cannot, can't be represented by dollars alone, you know, it has to be represented by the individual and I think the work that we're doing, it, we can push it forward because we believe in we believe in what we do. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like we don't take the word of somebody else. Like that 
that artist that told you that, yeah, they may be good, but you know, there's always a bigger fish. And on top of that, I always think about this, this too, man, like you, they look at our artwork and they critique it very harshly, but at the same time, it's like, are you afraid of it? Because maybe it, it's shoulder to shoulder with yours or, but either way, man, you, you had a little hitch. Yeah. Did you quit? No, you kept pushing forward. You're still doing it, man. That's a victory. And that's the thing I think we need to, you know, one of the things I focus on, cause I'm a retired teacher of 24 years is I still look at young people. You know, I never take, I don't ever push a young people person aside and say, look, man, look, uh, finish school, blah, 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 da, da, da. And, you know, I made mistakes. I know what it is to make up for them too. And it's, you know, if, if, if I can tell you a quick story about filmmaking, my guy was and always will be John Carpenter. Yeah. And when, when I met him and actually got to sit down with him for 30 minutes and talk with him, we talked about anything but movies, you know, and till the last 10 minutes, he's like, hey, he's like, so um, is there anything you want to ask me about filmmaking? And I just asked him, you know, I'm, you know, I'm an independent filmmaker just coming up like I'm barely climbing the ladder. But, you know, I have a movie on Amazon and I've done things. He's like, OK. I said, what advice can you give for, you know, uh, you know, living off top ramen and five dollar carryout pizza filmmaker here? What do you recommend? What do you? And he said, he's, he it was cool, man. He just looked at me. He's like, what, what? He goes, what advice can I give? He goes, all right, here we go. He's like, just have fun. That's it. He's like, just just have fun. Yeah. He said, now the one thing I can tell you, he goes, that's the key thing is to have fun. If you're not having fun doing it, then it becomes work. He goes, another thing is keep your shit independent. He said, because once you start selling it to studios, it doesn't become your movie anymore. Yeah, you get a paycheck, but your vision, it's not your vision anymore. You have no more control over it. And the third, <laughs> the third thing he said to me was, don't do comedies. He said, stay away from comedies. Comedies are a pain in the ass. The jokes get old. Everybody ends up hating each other. And just do that. And then he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, now get the hell out of here. <laughs> and that was, that was my meeting with John Carpenter, who I've always looked oh, up man. to as a director and a filmmaker and a visionary. And to walk out of that room and to feel that, like, oh, my God. Text Kevin right away. Text my brother. Dude, guess who I just talked to? And it was just, man, my my drive to be a filmmaker, that to me, that was a challenge. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's have fun doing this. Because we're making, when I made my first film, The Smudging, that was a work. That was a lot of work. We had fun, yeah. But still, it was my head was always like, what am I going to do next? How should I do it? Should I have done it this way? This and that, blah, blah, blah. And then it didn't become fun anymore. It became work. But then hearing that from a master of horror, a master filmmaker, to tell me, just have fun, bro. Do your thing. And it's cool, man. I mean, one thing I can I can tell you, I can't really go too much into it, but, you know, since moving to Los Angeles, I've been offered by three major studios for them to buy the smudging. Till I see that what they're offering, and it's like, that's not even going to cover my student loans, you know, that. And on top of that, it's like, you know, you don't get any kind of intellectual property. Basically, yeah. they just buy your whole idea and they do it their way. Turned them down because I keep hearing that in my head. 
the check may look good, but it's not going to be your story anymore. So, and that's the thing with, with us native filmmakers and storytellers. That's the same. It's, there are stories to tell. It's our responsibility to tell those stories, not anybody else. So that's why I don't ever sell my horror movies or my ideas because I'm going to make them. Yeah. Or if I have a, a, a passionate native filmmaker, you know, that wants to do it, I'll let them give it a shot. You know, that's just how I am is I, I think it's our responsibility to keep our stories ours and for us to tell them the way we know. Them. So yeah, man, it's art. Art is tough. It's, it's, it's a tough. And if you, if you choose that as your career, you know, Hey, you gotta be willing to, to, to take the suck with the success. You feel me? I'm gonna say that again to take the suck with the success. Yeah. There's, there's sometimes they're neck and neck and it's always going to be a balance and a struggle, but Hey man, have fun doing it yeah. and you're never going to be disappointed. Yeah, man. <laughs> Cause I met a lot of uh, our teachers out there and like this one that always sticks out of my head is Mike Ryder. And he did like, uh, and uh, was it Anastasia, the movie that, uh, okay. cartoon movie. Yeah. He did the, um, the, uh, was it the bat in that movie and he drove that all the time and he's like man i just got tired of it and i want to do my own thing and here i am you know teaching everybody because like this is what i want for people to learn you know to Mm -hmm. animate and to progress in it and to be better than me and i was just like yeah man like i want to be good and he's like do it no don't think about being good just think about being yourself and that really like inspired me and it made me like really think about because this is after the fact that that dude told me this and that's when i went to art school because because i thought it was bad and uh and um he was just like no you're fucking good you're you know you do your own style you do two styles of comic book and realism and you put mix them together and makes it you and you shouldn't Mm -hmm. you shouldn't let somebody else i mean yeah you can become good at it but in the long run, you can become like a professional and you can teach other people your artwork. You can teach somebody that is trying, but you can t- teach them your techniques of what you learned yourself. And that makes you you. And don't think about anybody else. Just think about you and the power of your work. And I was just like, man, that's an inspiring, man. He's like, yeah, because I, I've done, I went to art schools. I went to this and that. And I remember he was saying, he went to this one art school that told the art professor would tell him the same thing. You're not going to be good enough. But that made him really want him to inspire others to, to spread that message that anybody else that is like going through what I went through and other artists that, that um, told that message that you're not good enough. But he told, said, no, like I'm going to teach the world that are people to inspire people that, yeah, you are good enough to do your own thing, to inspire your own self and to others that want to learn from you. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, man, I took that message to the heart. So that's, that's, that's good. Med- that's good medicine, man. Yeah. I mean, there, and, and what's, what's cool about that is like you, you meet people on your journey that are willing to give a part of themselves to you. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it be in a, in, in a relationship with a partner or it be a mentor or a teacher or, you know, someone you look up to, like we both talked about artists we look up to, for them to take time to, to tell you something that improves you, 
you know, it, that that's that's medicine right there. That's just yeah. not, you know, don't take that for granted because, you know, there's nothing worse. If I may quote a Bronx tale, there's nothing worse than a, than wasted talent. And as long as we keep nurturing it and getting better at it, it just becomes, you know, it's not work. It becomes a lifestyle, becomes an expression of, of ourselves. And I think that that's, that's the strongest form of, of expression in an artist is to be able to show who you are through your art, because then people get to know you and understand you mm-hmm. on a level that you'd like them to, you know, like we're creative beings. We like to show our creativity and we may have sides of ourselves that we're not too happy about. Like, you know, we, we may suffer from, you know, anxiety, depression, you know, or have substance abuse issues, you know, but what we do, what we bring forth from our heart, man, that's true. That's true us right mm-hmm. there. And I think that's the, that's the us that we want people to get to know. And then we push it forward. You know, we give it to somebody else. It's like, a, it's like a torch. We pass it to somebody else to carry. And that's the most important thing is what are you going to leave behind? Yeah. You know, what, what story are you going to leave behind? Are you going to leave behind, you know, a box full of regret or are you going to push forward you know, a road paved with a success story that may not be yours and maybe somebody else's, but as long as you help pave that road, that's, that's, that's based, man. You know? So what else inspiring messages that you got from other artists or people that were um, inspired by you? Um, I, I, one of my teaching jobs, I think my favorite, Mm-hmm. job as a teacher was I worked at uh Hintel Kuka, which uh in the in the uh Pomo language means house of children. I worked at a a there was a native um after school program slash daycare slash preschool in Oakland. And it's I went to school there when I was uh when I was growing up. And so I'm I'm second generation Hintel. But to go back and work there with some of the teachers that were there when I was little mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like my aunties, I went back and worked with my aunties <laughs> and some of the kids there, I would draw with them all the time. And then to hear some of them when they grew up, they became artists and went to art school and they're doing either dancing or beating or music uh, quick footnote. I am one of the original founding members of the first native rap group uh, without reservation. Um, so I did a lot of, I became a self-taught hip hop producer and art, hip hop artist, but to see some of my youth that I used to mentor up there become artists of different mediums, you know, film photography, you know, some, a lot of them became collectors because we used to talk about action figures a lot. And, um, just, just real, real quick. I'm a 50 year old kid. You know, I, I don't know what acting my age means. I don't know what maturity means i'm just living my best life how i can with 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 whatever time i got left but to answer your question to see some of my youth that have grown up and become productive adults that's the main thing mm-hmm. you know whether they did art or whatever as long as they stayed alive and if they had children of their own to become that awesome teacher great parent that to me right there my job is done that's my greatest accomplishment is if they survived living on the streets that I did and became productive adults and are living productive lives. 
to me, that's my success story. Mm. You know, I'm, I don't care if I make millions of dollars doing what I do, as long as I I can see my youth and my nieces and nephews progressing, my, my grandchildren, if I could see them progressing, my job's done. I did the best I could with what I had. And that's my success story. That's my art success story is because what I taught them, what I know in art, they carried it forward. Boom. Mm. Done. Oh yeah, man. I mean, like to go with the youth, man, like I'm, I want to teach like the youth here because the youth here is like, you know, into gains and into violence and shit like that. And it's just like, it's not right. There's no, you know, back in my day, we used to skateboard all the time. And mm-hmm. we could do that late at night and go to the gas station down the road and just do like tricks and just skate it up there. Now you can't do that. Now nobody doesn't really ride anymore. Now it's mm-hmm. just like, it's weird, man. It's like, it's a time and it's a time in our life that things are, are getting bad. And it's weird because we have a skateboard, uh, a skate park down the road from my house. And yeah, there's some riders, but it's not like how it was back in the day. Like everybody could ride at night and just, you know, just cruise or, you know, listen to music, listen to punk rock and just jam the streets and just shred it up. But now it's like, it's weird, man. It's like, um, like I want to like to teach the youth, like you can do something because everybody else here is just like, it's, they're afraid. I think they're afraid Mm -hmm. to be themselves. They're afraid that people would tell them differently that they're, not good enough or they're um they're stupid of thinking that way and it's it's weird because you know i've i've heard that message before when i was younger but i just didn't listen because i was a rebel you know i was mm-hmm. doing my own thing i was skateboarding because skateboarding taught me to be my own self yeah. and to just like to shred it up but i don't really care what anybody says i'm going to do what i need to do and be good at it and I think I lost that along the way. And when that guy told me, I got crimped again. And then that's when it made me to be more better than once I was, once I, once I was younger and just to keep going. But mm-hmm. to go back to the youth, man, like I think I'm the only podcaster that's out here, you know, talking and everything, doing my own thing. And I would like to tell them, like, you know, you can do something if you put your mind to it. You know, you can be successful if you can't, if you want to be successful in this world. Mm-hmm. And to just say to to stress that enough on the youth, like, you know, you don't have to listen to, you know, your mom or your dad. I mean, yeah, you listen to them, but, you know, listen to them. And like, you know, if they tell you not to do something because you, you feel stupid of doing it, just keep it going. Just, you know, you like art, collecting music, keep going because, mm-hmm. like, you know, that that I would say like that um, that message is. You know, it's strong. It's a strong message to just keep going, to just keep doing what you need to do in this life to make you happy. Yeah. I think what scares a lot of youth these days is influenced by uh, social media and how they're going to be viewed. And, you know, uh, I know a lot of kids that that I've talked to, you know, some of my nieces and nephews that during like the pandemic, the early days of it really took a lot out of them because they lost friends, just not through death, but through just through uh, introverts They became just closed up and didn't want to do anything. And I think a lot of them live their life. Their life is dictated by the number of likes mm. or the number of people following them, 
you know, or somebody, if they post something serious and they get a laughing face, then, oh my God, I must suck because this person laughed at me. You know, it's influenced by a lot of, of social media. And I won't just limit that to, to kids, you know, a lot of adults got stuck in that, you know, we got stuck in that, uh, that cycle of just, I suck because I didn't get 50 likes today on my figure picture or, you know, I, I must be trash because no one's viewing my stories. And it's just like, but it's, we took, we, we moved three steps forward and took two steps back in our talent with the pandemic because it did make us feel like we were isolated, like nobody cared, mm-hmm. you know, but we yeah. still didn't, we, we had a way to figure out that everybody's going through this, not just us. And how are we going to, to pierce the veil of, of our own, I guess, for lack of a better term, self-loathing, because if we have people looking up to us, we're the ones that have to be that lifeline. We're the ones that have to play the role of the the candle in the dark. You know, we have to be able to light that these kids have to find. And because they're looking up to us, they're depending on us to be, you know, like parent, like children look up to parents. Yeah. You have to be a hundred percent, you know, like my dad, if he didn't know, he never said, I don't know. He always said, well, let's find out together. And we learned together about anything I needed to know. But I think with the rise in teen suicide and depression and, and anxiety and, and kids using drugs, you know, antidepressants and everything, it's it's hard because there's a, another part of society that's just telling young people, the BS about like, well, your parents take care of you. What do you have to worry about? Why are you doing this? You know, you're just a burden on your parents. And it's like, is that helping though? Like yeah. telling them that you're basically telling them they suck mm-hmm. and you can't do that. You, you cannot do that to a young mind. You can't do that to an old mind, you know, because, you know, you get to the point where you, you start to feel like you're a burden on people and you're actually not, you know, because if you need help, and I will stress this to all your listeners. If you need help, ask for it. There's somebody out there that's ready to listen to you. You yeah. know, you got two, two brothers right here talking to each other that got big ears and big yeah. hearts that are willing to listen to you. Anything you need, man, you, we're, the, we're a lifeline. That's our responsibility. And me, I, I always liked the responsibility of being a mandated caretaker when I worked in childcare. That didn't stop. You know, just because I punched out at five, if I see your kids acting up at Target, I'm going to call them out on it. If I see your baby standing up in its high chair at a restaurant, I'll catch it if it falls, you know, because I'm always on alert. Yeah. You know, as as, as a teacher, as a as a retired teacher, I'm still on alert. I'm, I'm always on the job. Yeah. And um, if I see kids in, in trouble, I'll ask, is everything all right? If I see an adult in trouble, I'll ask, is everything okay? You know, are you okay? Do you need someone to talk to you? You need to use my phone. Should I call someone for you? You know, it's a responsibility of, of, and I don't think it's just being on alert, but I think it's, it's the definition of being human. Mm -hmm. You feel me? Like we can't shut people out because there's people in our lives that didn't shut us out. Yeah. You know, there was people there that we talked to that got us out, out of the slump. And I think that if we're more open to people that need it, especially youth, you know, that need these kind of, you know, you don't have to, don't depend on social media to define who you are. 
you're loved. So what you ain't liked, you're loved, you know, by a lot of people depend on that. You know, sometimes it's easier said than done, but just know that that's out there. I'm putting that out there. You're, you're more loved than you are liked. Mm. You know, social yeah. media, it's, it's cool. It's, it's fun. It's something that's, it's entertainment like the NFL. It's entertainment, you know, mm. but your expression, instead of posting it, you know, it, it, it don't, don't depend on those likes because it's not judging. It don't, it don't judge you. Mm-hmm. The hardest judges of, of ourselves, of us is ourselves, you know, yeah. but you know what? We live how we do because that's, that's who we are. We're good people until, you know, you know, the only person that thinks you suck is you, but I don't, <laughs> I'll never judge you. You know, yeah. you're a person just like me. So. Yeah. Like for me, I have an open mind to anything, you know, I am like an artist, you know, I have somebody who tells me their idea. I'm going to like, tell them like what I think or if they want me to tell them what they think and I'm not going to tell them that they're stupid or anything because mm-hmm. that's their expression. That's their, what they, that they believe in, you know, I would give them a little pointers, but you know, I would just like, Hey, you should, uh, you should, um, you know, try this real quick. Or what do you think about this? Or, you know, just like little, little notes, not to change their story or anything, just to go, just to add a little bit on. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, like when I, I was, always, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, good. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, cause uh, yeah, cause for me, like um, I would tell my my friend here, um, you would uh, listen to my stories, listen to what I was talking about, like what figures, cause we used to be big figure uh, collectors, but he jumped off because he got into other mm-hmm. things, and he didn't want to do that anymore because he thought it was uh, childish, and for me, like. I kept doing it because it, I loved doing it. I loved collecting the, the, um, of seeing the figure in the store and finding it. It's like a gem. It's like, oh shit, I found this, you know? And he's like, oh, like, yeah. He's like, why are you finding that figure for? There's a lot of them. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of figures, but there's not a figure that I find that it's just one that I'm dying to get. And he's like, oh, man, mm-hmm. that's, that's stupid. Why do you want that? I was like, uh, I was like, because I feel like a little kid again every time I find it. Yeah. Yeah. It, dude, you, I'm like, I can't tell you how much that hits me, too, because it's that thrill of the hunt. Yeah. You know, when you find something and it takes you back to, you know, because we all know that all the figures are by now. They came out 20 years ago, yeah. 30 years ago, but they were just kind of limited in articulation and detail. But now they come out, they're like, living works of art the way they're sculpted and articulated and i think that too like finding that when you're looking for something it's like whoa and then it takes you back like i remember when this first came out and you have a story about it like every figure is has a story and you know it's funny your 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 friend that says that well that's childish it's like well (laughs) who told you that yeah you know who who told you that it's childish was it was it you know some Somebody you're you're falling for, or is it somebody that you know that? Because to me, it's like, hey, I get looked at sideways all the time when I'm in the toy section at Target. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny because you go there and there's like four other four other adult males there, <laughs> yeah. and I and we're all like, you know, yeah, some of them have kids, yeah, but we're all looking for the same thing, mm-hmm. and it's funny because like when you find, you know, what I, I always 
think of, I call them grails because there are some figures I find I will not open. And it's like, whoa, you know, my, my, one of my spots I always find stuff in is the chip section at Target. I don't know who sticks their figures behind the chips, but I always find figures behind the chips. Oh yeah. So that's where I always find my best, my best, my best hunting grounds is is the Target chip section. (laughs) But yeah, man, um, it's, because I, I ever since growing up, I never had that. I never had somebody tell me, you know, oh, one time, there's a couple of weeks ago, I take this back, a couple of weeks ago, I was at GameStop and the young lady working behind the counter, you know, I'm, I'm paying for my figure and she's like, how old are you? And I looked at her and like, it was funny when she said that, it was like a pin dropped in GameStop. All the dudes in there turned around like, <laughs> what did she just say to him? And I was yeah. like, Oh, I'm 50. I said, I'm 50 years old. She goes, and you still play with these things? I was like, play with them? I said, well, sometimes I do. I said, but I'm an action figure photographer. Mm-hmm. And I pulled out my phone. And I was like, boom, this is what I do. And she was like, wow. I said, but uh, I said, why, why do you ask? And she said, well, why do you, why do you ask? And she's just like, oh, because I just see a lot of a lot of older men coming here. And they just, you know, they're buying up a lot of the action figures. I was like. And what's wrong with that? She's like, oh, nothing. And I was like, okay, well, have a good day. You know, I paid for my stuff and I walked out. But that was the first time I've ever been asked that mm-hmm. ever in my life. And it was weird. It was like, wow. And then I guess in some moments, it's funny when someone asks you that, it all depends on the in- individual to think about, well, then should I be buying these? Yeah. Because I'm an adult. You know, should I not do this because it makes me look like a little kid? Will people think I'm weird because I'm? But it's like, boom! That didn't even register. I was like, man, I'm 50 years old and I buy toys. Yeah, and <laughs> guess what? My wife is a UCLA professor and she buys me toys. And guess what? My mom and dad are in their 80s, and at Christmas time, I get action figures. So yes, I. This is what I do, and that's the thing: is people that really know you and love you and look up to you they'll they'll they they know what you're about they know what you represent they know what you Mm do and i'm not going to change you know like if i would have changed i would have changed when i was 25 yeah you know but i i I didn't i still kept going and i guess you know a lot of people tell me that i don't look 50 you know just a little bit of white in a beard but they're like you don't look 50 and i think a lot of times it's because i worked with kids and kids kept me young. I was I was always playing, you know, with them, mm-hmm. you know, Legos or on the playground playing tag or whatever, you know, when I was a lot more mobile. Um, <laughs> and it was just fun. You know, I was I was I was every day I was reliving my childhood and um, it was just a good thing. You know, it's it's always a good thing to to stay young. Um, I don't know a lot of a lot of your viewers and listeners. Um, there's. Uh, you probably seen it. Twilight Zone, the movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, the one directed, you know, it was uh, all those directors, they did different stories. There's one about an old man played by the late Scatman Crothers. He goes to this nursing home. Is that the one with the tin can? Yeah, kick the can. Yeah, kick the can, yeah. There's a quote in that that I love, and I use it all the time, when he says, the day we stop playing is the day we start to grow old. Mm. And it's like, I'm never going to grow old because I'm always playing. I'm always doing stuff. You know, I, yeah. I like to have fun. 
and I'm not going to grow old. You know, my, I always tell people it's not the age, it's the mileage, but mm. you know what, man, I'm having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. So. Oh man. Like I forgot about that movie. That's <laughs> 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 my brother. Me and my brother always to go to a blockbuster and buy horror movies or not buy them, but rent them. And I remember that one. That's the one with the kid that can wish for anything. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I remember that one, like, watching that one. I didn't really get it, but now, like, thinking about it, like, that's how we should be, of, like, always thinking of, um, not thinking, but doing young things, because if we stop doing it, we start getting old. Yeah. Like, like the one kid that didn't want to be old, he just wanted to stay young on the, on that story. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to be you know, going back to, to art, you know, artists, we're, we're the, the hardest judges of ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, like people, like you may think I do a really cool uh, figure picture, but I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, dang, I could have did that better. Or I should have used this different thing. It's so we're always thinking of stuff like real quick mm-hmm. with the smudging. I will not watch the last part of that movie. I what when it's been screened at theaters i walk out of the third act i just i can't stand it i because i rushed it i should have took more time with it i didn't like the way i edited it and i always walk out and it's funny because because my brother's always like he he knows like right when and he always tells me hey man before you leave could you go like grab me some popcorn and bring it back and uh it's like i don't ever watch it i just i as an artist, I can't appreciate it. Love, though a lot of people have told me like, Hey man, it's really good. I like your film. You know, I still look at it. Like I could have done it. I could have done it better. I could have, I could have took my time with it, but um, it is what it is, you know, and yeah. if further down the road, if I get, you know, some extra coins in my pocket, I might take another shot at, at redoing it, mm. but we'll see, you know, cause I have a lot of other things in my head that I need to get out first, but yeah, but yeah, man, you get a part two or a sequel okay so um in the film in the smudging i play a character my character is named bad mm-hmm. and the reason i chose that name when i was developing my character because i was always told when i was little i was bad like i was doing bad stuff you know and then um when i played sports you know my friends would call me bad because i was just like i was mean when I played sports <laughs> um, and it name just always stuck with me. You know, yeah. people would see my art and say, Oh man, that's bad. That's, that's bad. And I was like, okay. So when I developed this story, I was like, I'm going to call my character, you know, bad. So fast forward now until in, in the story I'm writing now, uh, I'm finishing up a script for a new film. Uh, and I play that same character. Um. And in this storyline, I am not, I'm no longer a paranormal researcher. I retired. I gave that up because what happened in the smudging kind of scared me. So I I got away from being, from doing that. Mm -hmm. So in this story I'm writing now, it's called First Voice. And um, if anybody gets any bright ideas, it's already copywritten. So just know that. Anyway, uh, Bad plays, he's a first responder. He's a 911 dispatcher working from home. That's his new job. And he's what you call a first voice operator, meaning that um, 
when police get calls that are unnatural, supernatural, uh, they call him on a separate frequency and ask him what they should do. And bad walks them through, you know, what they should do with this certain. So the story is that, yeah, he, he, so it's, that's what he does. He's doing now. That's kind of the unofficial sequel to the smudging. You know, I have a lot of people asking me to do a sequel. So that kind of drove it to that. But, uh, just in between there, if I can talk about them real quick, in between there, I did um, two documentaries, actually three documentaries that uh, won, I won awards for. Um, one of them is on action figure photography. It's called Unboxed, the Art of Action Figure Photography. And you can find it for free on YouTube. And then I did two documentaries about native horror. Uh, one is called Cinema Red, Natives and Horror. And which is on YouTube. And then the second chapter is cinema red full native horror. And those are, those are both on YouTube. Um, the document, the horror documentaries, the first one is um, it is a nine, nine native artists came together of uh, actors, comedians, comic book artists to talk about horror movies, what impact modern horror cinema had on them yeah. uh, growing up. And the reason I did these documentaries is because like nobody really asks us natives anything of this caliber. They always want to ask us about things like, you know, uh, dances with wolves or last of the Mohicans, you know, it's like, but why don't you ever ask us about native horror movies? So I did it. I did it. So, and the second one, uh, full native horror is just uh, myself and four other filmmakers who are horror native horror directors talking about our stories and what, how we became, uh, horror filmmakers, but yeah, man, it's, um, those were fun to make. Uh, I think documentaries are the best because you just hit record and you let them talk no script, no, nothing. They just, you let them talk about what they want to talk about. And it's fun. to when I put it together, it's fun to listen to their stories and to see, you know, because I think a lot of times they, they, they think the same way. It's like, no one ever asks us what we think about this but you give us a platform to talk about these kind of things. So, but yeah, man, it's, it was a, it, it was a good experience making those films and then to see them get put in a film festival and then get notified that you won an award. I mean, I, it's pretty awesome. You know, it's not, uh, and, and, and any, those are victories that you can celebrate. Mm-hmm. You know, like people say, Oh, it wasn't a Palm door. I didn't win at con festival. It's like, Oh yeah. Okay. But at the same time, I'm a recognized filmmaker. Yeah. You know, I'm, you can, you can Google my name and you'll get pages of my work and that's, that's good enough for me. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I'm not getting a swelled head. So Mm. that's, that's the plus. Damn. I'm going to watch your movie, man. Smudged. The smudge. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That one. Okay. So I have an interesting story about that. When I screened that at, uh, well, well, Let's go back a little bit. There's a scene in that film mm-hmm. where uh, my character is listening to a woman being murdered. Yeah. Because this this killer sends the police a tape of him murdering this woman, and the police let me listen to it, let my character. So Bad's listening to this. And when I was editing it, my my wife, who's also my producer, she was watching, she was sitting in the studio with me while I was doing it. And she was just like, dude, um, you know, put, put the brakes on that scene a little bit. I was like, why? 
She goes, it's, it's horrible. Like you're listening to, she goes, even though your reactions on film are genuine, like it's still, it's, it's, it's a lot. And she goes, how did you, how did you get those sound effects? I said, and uh, an actor that I worked with uh, by the name of uh, Alicia Acevedo, she was, she was the one on set. I had her in the sound booth and I hit the microphone and I had my, my buddy, my co-star, Chris Walsh. Um, he had a, a roll of duct tape. Yeah. So while she's making these, she had her hand over her mouth. So she's making these muffled scream sounds and he's just tearing this duct tape and he's making these grunting sounds. So when I put it all together and I, I was telling my wife, I was like, you know, when Alicia was doing this, she was laughing. Like we kept saying cut because she kept laughing. So when we finally, I had to, I had to put all these little things of her making these muffled screams together because she just kept laughing. So I had to edit all the laughing. Anyway, <laughs> we get to the scene. So my wife's like, I don't know, man, like that seems a little bit risque to put that in there. So we went back and forth. I mean, we're talking days back and forth, back and forth, back yeah. and forth. So finally the compromise was, okay, you can use it, but you know, and, and, and she dropped the producer bomb, bro. I'm the producer. I'm the money. So yeah. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'll compromise. So I lowered the sounds a bit and then we did a test screen. That scene blew everybody away. Everybody's like, oh, my God, that scene was so terrifying. There was people at our first test screening. They thought the film was real. Like, they thought it was a documentary. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is probably the best compliment I've ever received because they thought it was real. So fast forward, I got accepted into the American Indian Film Festival in San Francisco. They showed it at, uh, at an AMC theater. And to hear your, your film, to see the poster. And then the name at an AMC theater is just like, wow, you know, this is awesome. So we, and it was packed. The theater was sold out. The screening was sold out. So we went and watched it. My brother, my, my family was there and I was sitting there. And then that, that scene comes up. So um, what I didn't tell my wife was prior to that, after the test screening, I kind of went in the studio and I raised the volume a bit yeah. on that scene. <laughs> so we're, I'm watching that scene. And when it's happening, I see this whole row down below. I see this whole row get up and walk out. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, and being an artist, you're like, oh, man, I suck. Yeah. Somebody's walking out. So I was like, you know what? I want, I want to find out why. So I got up and went downstairs. And it was a group of a group of ladies, uh, older older and uh, older and younger Native women, and they're all sitting in the lobby. And so I walk out, and I was like, uh, "Excuse me," I said, "Can I can I ask you guys a question?" And one of them, well, they all turned around. And they're like, "Oh my God, you're you're the guy in the film." I was like, "I was like, yeah, I, I directed, I wrote and directed it." I said, "And uh, I just need to know something." I was like, "Um, did it suck?" They're like, what? I was like, because you guys all, like a whole row of you got up and walked out. I just want to know, like, what? I just your feedback. And one of the ladies was like, you know, can can I be honest with you? I was like, yeah, go ahead. She said, <clears throat> we're from uh, we're from the battered women's shelter. And she said, when we heard that scene, it triggered a lot 
for a lot of us. Mm. So that's why we walked out. I was like, oh, and I felt like crap. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It, I don't mean to disrespect y'all. You know, I don't presume to know your stories, but I'm sorry. They're like, no, 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 no. It's okay. And then one lady said, um, the girl in that, was she really dead? I said, no, um, it's a movie. And they're like, what? I was like, yeah. And they're like, it's not real. I was like, no, 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 no. I said, it's, it's, I made this film. It's not real. It's fake. I said, my name's not bad. I said, my name's Mike J. Marin. I'm, I'm the writer director. I said, it's not a real movie. It's, it's fake. I said, it's based on real stuff, but it's, and they're like, Oh my God. They're like, we thought we were watching a documentary. I was like, wow. I was like, no. And then I told them the story about how I recorded Alicia and, I said, she's fine. I said, if you want me, I can call her right now and you guys could talk to her and tell her how compelling her performance was. I said, but it's not. And from that point on, it was like the greatest compliment I've ever received yeah. on any film was like people thought it was real. Yeah. And they still do. I still get, you know, I still get uh, emails or uh, Facebook messages every now and then of people saying, you know, that's the best documentary I've ever seen about native, native culture. And it's like, well, it's not really native culture, but <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I appreciate that, but yeah, man, it was, uh, and then, and then another thing about, you know, we, we talked earlier about criticism. Mm -hmm. If I had, if I had thin skin, <laughs> I, every day looking at IMDB, Internet Movie Database's reviews about the smudging, it, it would have killed me. I, I would have just went and buried myself in a vault and never came back out again mm -hmm. because I got bashed bad i mean i went from having nine stars to down to i think two now maybe even one and a half because oh, the ratings just went down but you know what man i made a film mm -hmm. i set out to make a film it's you know i can say i did it one of the one of the few things i did that was good i did yeah. it and people enjoyed it and they're still enjoying it it's, it's you know i don't know if you could see it but back there under the poster of the smudging, I got a certificate of congratulations from Amazon for 25 million views within the first couple months of it. So oh, to me, it's like, that's an accomplishment. It's like, I did a good job. Enough people watched it and they're still watching it. You know, mm -hmm. I still get notifications about how many people have rented it or bought it or viewed it and still a good feeling, you know, but yeah, still, man, I, I don't. Uh, yeah. But going back, <laughs> I still walk out. Of the third act of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you make a sequel, you should have me in there and walking around in the background. Just minding my own business. <laughs> I, I, I always say, um, well, I, I have friends. Yeah. That uh, I have friends that are in, um, <laughs> that are in Rutherford Falls. And I have, I have a buddy that was in the walking dead. And I always tell him, man, tell them, let me be the FedEx guy. Yeah. You know, the guy just comes in and is like, your box <laughs> you sign. I mean, that just like a pizza guy. Yeah. Here's your delivery, you know? Um, but yeah, man, I always, uh, and here's the thing though, man, is I will, I will put you in a film because I always look for the right people. Yeah. I, I never like, you know, I could spend a bunch of my budget hiring one actor who will just come in and say one line and then boom that's it 
And then on the poster, the studio will top build them and they're only in it for like a second. But I find people that want to have fun mm-hmm. making a horror movie that want to just have fun, you know, and, and here's the thing too, about when I, when I make films is my script is just kind of a, a loose template. It's whatever you bring to it. You can change the lines however you want. You can say them however you think you would. Like, I would want to know, how are you going to say this line? I know how I would say it. I know how I want it to be said, but I want to hear how you do it. And then if you do it and I'm just like, boom, cut, print, close the gate. That's it. That's what I want. That's how I, that's the kind of director I am. Mm-hmm. Some people say, well, do you let your cast have too much freedom? It's like, because they're artists. You know, they're artists and they bring their own personalities to the performance. That's what I want. I don't want a template. I don't want, you know, okay, you're the Indian. So you just stand there like this and look stoic. No, man, look, be how you are. How are you? You know, what do you do that would bring this character to life? You know, that's the kind of, excuse me, that's the kind of filmmaker I am is I like to have, (laughs) I like to have fun, John Carpenter. So. (laughs) <laughs> just see me in the background just kicking a can like on uh, <laughs> the Twilight Zone <laughs> be, like um, I always <laughs> in in the final battle of um, in the Phantom Menace when the Gungans are fighting the droid army I always love okay everybody always focuses on Jar Jar you know being stupid right yeah but in the background there's one Gungan he's holding one of those droids and he's just like He's just like beating the crap out of me. So it's like, if I ever had a fight scene, I'd have you in the background, just have who whatever. Just, <laughs> because it's cool to see films like that. Cause I always look in the background. Yeah. The background is, is, is really um, the care. Those characters to me are like the best. Yeah. Um, like in the peanuts movie, you know, when, when Linus is talking to Charlie Brown on the playground, there's two little kids in the back on the swings. And I don't know what they're talking about, but one little kid, he's just like, and it's like that right there is gold because, you know, what are they talking about? Or in um, in that one surfs up when that one big penguin's talking all tough and the other one's looking at him and the one penguin in the background is looking at both of them and he's like, you know, I was like, dude, that, so that would be, yeah, I'll, I'll put you, I'll put you in multiple scenes. I was like, wasn't that guy right there just, wait, wasn't he just beating the crap out of Hey, look, there's that dude right there. He's like, you know, he's flipping burgers and not to stay. So <laughs> there's always room. There's always room for characters, man. That's that's the kind of filmmaking I love. Hell to do. Yeah. So, you got it, man. I, I got you. I got you. So I, and you're in what? You're in Phoenix? Yeah, I'm Phoenix. Arizona. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So right on. <laughs> All right, man. I'm gonna cut it right there, man. But it was a pleasure talking to you, man. I had a little I had a fucking great time talking to you, bro. Oh, you too. You too, brother. Thank you very much for having me on here. Do you have anything that you want to plug on the show? Uh, Yeah, just real quick. If anybody is interested in my action figure photography, you can hit me up on Instagram at the Boneyard Collectibles. One word, the Boneyard Collectibles. If you want to check out some of my film stuff and my other monotony, sometimes I just put my thoughts on wax. You can check me out at Real Talk Junkies Films on Instagram. That's Real Talk Junkies Films. That's for my film stuff. Also, if you would like to take a look at my artwork, I'm on Instagram at MJ Marin Art. M-J, M-A-R-I-N, Art. And um, I think that's, oh, uh, real quick. 
Uh, if anybody's interested in some really cool native apparel, which I designed, um, I got, you know, laptop cases and coffee cups and stuff. Go to T Public. That's T. Uh, okay. Oh, here we go. Okay. The, this this thing is really crazy. I'm trying to get it consolidated. Mm-hmm. But so far, this is where you can find our store. Okay. Um, T-E-E dot P-U-B slash L-I-C slash red gear 96 well damn <laughs> so that's that's the that's the thing they gave me and i couldn't change it so yeah man um that's you can find my apparel but uh other than that man uh, if i can do a couple of shout outs um I'd like to give a shout out to my boy uh my brother uh kevin nez uh, the mac nez podcast e-society podcast those cats man keep it up keep it strong keep talking don't ever shut your mouths or shut your ideas. I uh, send a real huge shout out to my family in Chicago, Illinois, to all my friends out there, my Columbia College uh, classmates, Jamie, Chris, Brannick, you guys rock. Um, who else? I want to give a shout out to my parents and my family uh, in New Mexico, Arizona, and Nevada, California. You guys all rock. Chicago, you guys all rock. Much prayers to... Uh, uh, all the people that are facing tragedy, not just today, but uh, over time, please keep moving forward. Keep your heads up. You're all in our prayers. And to you, man, I would like to say thank you very much for having me on your show and giving me a platform to talk. And I hope we can talk again. I really love our conversation. And um, I'm sure we could have went on forever talking yeah, about dude. everything. So especially at the movies, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, and real quick. Shout out to my guardian angel, my angel, my love, my wife, uh, Dr. Ananda Marin at UCLA. Uh, Go Bruins. And um, yeah, man, uh, thank you all for listening. And everybody out there, please stay safe. And uh, my greatest advice as a horror movie director is remember to keep your lights close. Yeah, maybe in the future we'll have uh, Kevin Nez on here with you, man. Oh, God, man. You know, he and I, we've known each other since the crib days. Like mm-hmm. we grew up, we were babies and we grew up together. He's my oldest living friend, him and his brother, Jamie. And the stories we can tell, I talk, I, I didn't skateboard. I didn't have any kind of balance whatsoever, yeah. but watching those two guys shredded up. I mean, Kev still, Kev still hits skate parks. When he comes down here, we always got to venture over to Venice skate park on the beach. And um, man, shout out to him and, and you and whoever, all you old dogs that keep it keep it on the curb, man, you guys are you guys are beast. And um, just everybody out there, please be safe. I can't stress that enough. Be safe. Check on your elders and watch your children. Yes, sir, man. And go follow me on my uh, Facebook page. That's Robin Jackson with the Classic World Podcast. And on Instagram, go follow me at Nightwing. Rob, that's N I G H T W I N G R O B B with the Classic World podcast as well. Much love to you guys, and I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>